Hello, I am Joel McLeod, and welcome to the 905er. Just a friendly reminder, folks, Roland is away for the time being, but he will be returning, so have no fear. In the meantime, we keep on working. While searching for stories to cover on this podcast, we often look through social media to keep an eye on what we think is relevant to life in the 905. In that process, we come across various personalities online. If you're on TikTok and follow anything political, chances are you've come across Frank Dominic. If you're not entirely familiar with his online content, we'll provide a link to his profile in our show notes for you to get caught up. Those of you who do follow Frank, you are no doubt familiar with his passion for social equality, justice, and fair play as well as his equal criticisms of the Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau governments, especially as both are awkwardly navigating the effects of runaway inflation and the growing inequality in our economy. Frank caught our eye with his quick and effective criticisms of Doug Ford's overreach in using the notwithstanding clause against QP workers. And he continues to target the growing scandal list of the Ford government in their second mandate. With the Liberal and NDP parties in Queen's Park seemingly in disarray and ineffectual at holding the government accountable, the task of effectively voicing an opposition to the Ford government has centered on the grassroots. In the era of TikTok and social media, this is taking on a new dimension, and I wanted to speak with one of the more eminent personalities online about this. As Conservatives in Ontario seemingly enact more and more legislation without consultation of the public, or accountability to anyone other than themselves, where does outrage and anger go? Is there a role for individuals like Frank and to be truthful, us in this podcast, to inform and channel that anger into something productive? I sit down with Frank to chat about this on this episode of the 905er. Okie dokie. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Frank Dominic uh, from the the illustrious app TikTok (laughs) for coming onto the Nano Fiber podcast uh, to chat with us uh, today. Thanks, Frank, for uh, taking the time to uh, to log on and chat. Thank you very much for coming here. Always love uh, having a good chat about some politics and uh, <laughs> whatever good stuff comes our way. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there there might be people listening to this podcast who don't know your account on TikTok, but you've built up quite a following, quite a a, a personality on TikTok, and. I, I'm going to, I'll paraphrase a bit, but I guess it's just a, a bit of just online critique, criticism, color commentary on politics, focusing, I think, on, on the provincial uh, government. Is that, is that an accurate take? Yeah. I mean, so when I first started making TikToks, it was more like I was, there was things that I was angry about or things that I wanted to talk about. And I was just pissing off my wife. I was posting on Instagram stories and I was spending all this time doing research and like none of my friends were really paying that much attention. I, I had a lot of interactions from a lot of my friends and a lot of my family, but I, I wasn't moving the needle on anybody who I needed to move the needle on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I was, a lot of people basically disregarded my opinions because they knew me from either elementary school or high school, or they just thought, oh, well, he's a crazy socialist or whatever, which is funny because like I have a lot of people complaining that I'm not far left enough, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, but so I started making random ones here or there. And, and you know, like I, I was, I took a paternity leave. So I made some videos when I was with the baby then. Um, and then when the convoy hit, I was compulsively watching every moment. And I, I had, I, I had started covering the convoy on TikTok 
well before it became national news. People were laughing and saying, oh, they're not going to make it. These trucks leave in BC. And I was coming from day one. I'm like, these are fascists. These people are coming. They are saying that they want to overthrow the government. This is in their memorandum. We need to be taking this seriously. And I was also making fun of them as I went, but I was trying to express that. And everyone was saying that I was overreacting. And lo and behold, what was it? Three weeks of, and I, I was up nonstop all day, all night reading. I was watching the live live streams on TikTok, reading live commentary on Reddit from people who lived in Ottawa. And I was making my videos based off on all that. Uh, and so I think I gained a, a big following from that um, to start. And I think that people really appreciated the work I was doing there. And then a week, I think went by where I was like, cool, I can calm down. And then the Ukraine thing hit. And I, I was fully fixated on that for at least another three weeks. And then I, I realized I'm like, I can't do this forever. This war is going to go on for a couple of years. And so as I started to transition back into doing the regular content, which I was just doing a one-off here and there, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, whenever I read the news and I want to talk about something, I'm going to talk about it. And because Doug Ford tends to be the uh, focal point of my ire, I am more provincially focused right now, but I talk about Saskatchewan a bit when, when it comes up, a, a lot of Alberta stuff, uh, mm-hmm. federal stuff like Trudeau pisses me off every once in a while too, right? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. I like him in some regards, but not a fanboy. And and it's funny because a lot of people who only see my Ontario content will be like, oh, why don't you talk about Trudeau? And then other people come in the comments being like, do you not see him tearing Trudeau apart every week? Like, because <laughs> I, I, I do have my TikToks where I'm like, Hey guys, like Trudeau really messed up here. Like, let's talk about this. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, I think you get siloed. Like I know people who like only see my TikToks that are about cops and then they get mad at me that I'm always bad mouthing cops. And I'm like, but I'm not like, I talk positively about cops in the videos that aren't just about right. misconduct. So people get siloed even into my own content, which is well, kind of fun. I mean, you could maybe chop, chop that up to the, to the algorithm kind of feeding into those. Like that's how you, how you get into their bubbles, I guess, is it, mm-hmm. is the way to, to phrase it. I, I do like there, there are a couple of things that, that you talked about that kind of want to branch off on one going back to your your commentary on on following the freedom convoy uh, uh as i was moving through like that is that thing was an eye-opener for this for the country because it caught a lot of people unaware in terms of just what was going on you know um the question was like you know how how big is this movement how how you know are they are they are risking being violent or or whatnot? I my gut tells me over time that it's been revealed like they're not quite as big as we initially feared, but we are we're honestly very uninformed on it. But you you kind of you kind of thought you know you you caught wind of it early and you followed it and you you went through it and the, you know that's something that the mainstream media just never really picked up on. It was kind of like oh it's a fun little side story until they got to Ottawa and, and seized the city for three weeks. Yeah. What, what, what's your take on that? That, you know, this new media, things like apps like TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, as much as people like to deride them, I, I find that they're, I view them more as just tools, right? You can use yeah, them however no, you want. 100%. There's, there's good, they're good and positive about that. It depends on how you use it and what you use it for. And you use it I th- I'm going to just say to kind of inform, enlighten, shine a light on things that are that are kind of not that that focused on something that we try to do here here in the 905 er Um, you know what what's your take on that? Like, you know, are we kind of, like this? I'm, it's kind of a big, high, like ten thousand foot question there's, here. There's a lot going on but, there, yeah. But but it's something that I, I I it's something that I'm very passionate about on on our end. It's just like how do we. 
I think the way that we consume and develop and, and digest news is very different. And we have an old model that is just not adapting to new technologies. Yeah. I mean, like, so for example, like one of the things, the big things is that, so on TikTok, I can make TikToks where I am informing people about up-to-date information that I am seeing from residents in Ottawa that they are posting on Reddit, that they are posting in other confirmed channels on TikTok, et cetera. I, I can report that and I don't report it necessarily as fact. I'm saying this is what I'm seeing online. Right. Can't do that as CBC. You can't do that as CTV because you could be reporting, like you could be reporting on something that some guy was saying in his basement in Buffalo, right? And, and we ended up seeing that, that a lot of the people who were supporting the convoy were Americans in their basements. And they were just like, like um, the, the biggest convoy Facebook group, for example, and this is something that I reported on that I think the media did pick up on for a bit, but we kind of lost this trail. The largest Facebook convoy group was started by an American woman whose account had actually been hacked. And when they traced back where that hack was to, it was a Bangladeshi troll farm. And when you peel back the onion layer one more time, you find out that the Bangladeshi troll farm was most likely funded by Russia. So like, the and, and and it's I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I, I believe um, CTV had had done an article on this. I'd read this either on CTV or, or, or CBC. Like this has this is confirmed information um, that like there was this un- other undercurrent, but they couldn't immediately report on it. They had to do their fact checking. I could, as the onion started unpeeling, I could start talking about mm-hmm. it, but they can't fully talk about it until it's all been confirmed and by the time it's all confirmed we've moved on our our uh squirrel minds have moved on to the next thing that that has caught our attention and 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 so i can put a spotlight on things when when i have the opportunity to but i don't think that people should become because i make mistakes all the time like i i mix up um uh some world leaders in some videos and I, i made a mistake about michael ford recently and how he's related to doug um, I, I, I remember that he had changed his last name, but I didn't remember that he was actually a blood relative via uh, Doug's sister. Um, and, and, and so I, I make mistakes and I, and I try to own up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's the value of TikTok and, and, and these forms of social media is that we are not the mainstream, but that doesn't mean we replace the mainstream. There is a, a fundamental, important, valuable reason why CBC needs to be funded. There's a, a fundamental, valuable reason why CTV, as much as Bell sucks, Bell, let's talk. You guys suck. I'm, I got a video about that. <laughs> But, but there is a fundamental purpose that CTV provides that, that mean you can't do. But there are also things that mean you can do that they can't. And I guess that's where I, I, I think where, where the public good kind of falls by the wayside in that is when we have, like technology is, is more, I think makes things more fluid and more rapid and, and it's easier to get to. But you're right, like you, to get, I find, it's funny, I, find, I find the mainstream media tries to play what you're doing on TikTok and, and how other people like-minded as just yourself trying to be like, list the up to date. Cause they were, they're looking at what well, we need to be the first on the story. Whereas they have, I know we were just discussing this before we came on, uh, we hit record. They have the capital and the resources to say, no, no, let's pause a minute. Let's do a deep dive into this. Let's, yeah. let's put a team of people on this to do the research, to say, what is like, for example, with the freedom conflict, what is going on here? Like, is this, the, these people just all got in their cars and trucks and decided one day, no, I'm just going to go drive across the, from Alberta to Ottawa to protest. Like there's and months before, on there. Yeah. And like months before this had been happening on TikTok, you would see, and I'm going to say this as it is, you would see domestic terrorists 
in Canada talking about how they were recruiting members of the Canadian Armed Forces who had been dishonorably discharged. And you would, they would post videos to TikTok of them with guns, shooting these guns at targets of Trudeau, stuff like that. And now these videos, like a lot of people on TikTok will report that kind of stuff to the RCMP. So thankfully, our police services were made aware of this kind of stuff. But this content was out there. The problem is it's a niche audience, right? So if I'm seeing a video like that and only 5,000 people have seen it, well, I know that it's not harmful because it's not getting out there, but those are harmful people. So like there, there's also that level to it where it's like, like there's, there's a whole TikToker community and I, I try to stay out of it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of creators across Canada. Um, mm-hmm. we, 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 we chat when we can. And I, I'm, I really, really like these people and I love what they do and they, they do different stuff for me. Like, like we all do different stuff and, and a lot of them do get involved and they, they do live chat debates with, people in the freedom convoy. And some of them have stopped doing it because a lot of it just turned into anti-trans and homophobic and stuff like that kind of rhetoric. Like they weren't able to like really have those effective conversations, but there is communities of people online. And sometimes I talk to 10 people and sometimes I talk to a thousand people and it might not sound on the grand scheme of 37 million people in Canada, that that's a lot, but these are people that are tuned in and then they go out and they talk to their friends. And, and so there, there is this ecosystem online right. that sometimes has zero effect, but my friends and family thought that I was going to have zero effect online and I push out videos. I'd get about, um, I'm doing about, uh, three to 5 million per month in terms of views on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like, like, like I'm making an impact whether or not people want to believe it or not. Well, okay. So let's, let's touch on that. Let's go on that, on, off that, uh, that branch. Yeah. A lot of, uh, how you came to my attention was a lot of your criticism against the Ford government, uh, particularly. I'll be honest. When during the uh, the QP strike, uh, that's when a, I think that's when a lot of people. That's yeah. that's when in Ontario, at least, I think I became more of a, an Ontario centric uh, figure. And I mean, I, we can. We'll, I, I forget. We'll get into like the as I as I say the Doug Ford's greatest hits later on. But I do want to talk, touch upon like. It seems to me in this province right now, there doesn't seem to be a, an effective opposition politically as there should be to his his uh, decisions. Um, and I'm wondering, and I, I noticed like the, the power that that opposition has shifted out of Queen's Park and it's come, become far more decentralized. Um, you know, I thought there'd be a bit more opposition from municipalities, uh, especially against uh, the Greenbelt uh, Bill, Bill 23, which there, there's happening. But there are people like yourself who are mobilizing and they are stirring up that grassroots opposition. There are people who who rely on you to keep them informed, to keep the dialogue going, to keep these issues in the in the limelight. And do you, like do you take a, a bit of responsibility on yourself to kind of keep that opposition going? That you know to keep these issues kind of focused and 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 central in, in some people's minds. Yeah. Like, I mean, so I'm, I'm only going to keep making videos as long as I'm still enjoying it. Like, and it's not always fun talking about bad stuff sucks, yeah. but I, as long as I feel like I'm doing value and, it, and it's not negatively impacting my life, like during the, during the break, I put out maybe one video a day at most. Um, sometimes two, if, if I really felt like it, but, but I, I took the vacation as my vacation. So I, I know that there were still some things that were unfolding then. And I just kind of put them to the wayside. Like I never talked about the, the, the girls who murdered the homeless guy in Toronto. And there's right. a lot of stories like that, that I just, it passed me by. And I'm like, you know what? A lot of people have been discussing this. I don't need to cover everything. Um, and when it comes to Ford, like I'm, I, 
like, for example, if you guys want to want, other than an environmental defense watch, another great news organization that you can follow that will keep you up to date on environmental news and specifically the green belt, you're looking at the normal, right? So there's a lot of journalism out there, like real good journalism right. um, that can keep up to date. But what I do is I synthesize that information, right? Because I read those narwhal articles and then I, I deliver that the content to people via TikTok. And, and I think it's just that it, it's a new way for consumption. It's a new way for people to get their news and if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. And I don't know if they're going to do it in a way that I think is beneficial to society. And some people think that I'm harmful to society. I've had people literally tell me that I, what I do is bad and harmful friends. How, how, how is, how do they view what you're doing harmful? Because I will get stuff wrong. I will get some facts wrong or um, I'm a dirty socialist and I I'm pro vaccine um, and I'm anti-convoy and I'm, I'm a, I'm I'm getting paid by the CBC and, and the left and and I'm a I'm a plant and this and, and and like like people I know say this stuff to me. Well, if you're getting right. if you're getting uh, money from uh, George Soros, could you forward a little bit on my way? I could use a. I I think in total on TikTok I made I've made twelve cents. Um, just oh, there you go. Here. I've made there twelve whole cents uh, from TikTok earnings. There you go. And invest it wisely, and you can retire at the age of you know 120. I guess. <laughs> how, yeah. how do you how do you how do you keep up with it though? You know how like. Let's just focus on Doug Ford and the Ford government. There's too much. There's too much, too many well, scandals. There, that's the thing. Like, I, this is a question I wanted to ask you is, you know, how, how does, here, here's a, a question to you is, you know, when was Doug Ford's last big win? And by that, I mean, like every government, whether, you know, flashback to Kathleen Wynne, Dalton McGinty, heck, even Mike Harris and Ernie Eves, each one of them can say, we got to win. This is something that we wanted to do. We told you we wanted to do it and we got it done. Check that off the list and right or wrong, whether it was beneficial or not, but they say we won. That was, that was our win. And what, what's the last time Doug Ford could say that he did that? He has, he has a lot of wins, but it's not like wins that people in society, like it's wins for billionaires. It's, it's wins for, for the elite, right? Like Mike Harris's wife owns the largest um, private nursing agency in the, in the province congratulations that's a win for conservatives and people who who are in mike harris's pocket and mike mm-hmm. harris and his family like like they're going to be making a ton of money off the new private hospitals that doug ford wants to institute so right. when, you, when you talk about like what are his wins like it's it's a tough question because like he's got a lot of personal wins his family's wealth has gone up his 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 network's wealth has gone up so that that's a win for them when we talk about like a thing that everybody in society can gather around and say like that's a good thing, there have been a few things like that. And when I find those stories, I make sure to make a TikTok about it. And I say like I'm like guys, this is a good thing that the Ford government is doing, but it's never been a massive thing. And there's there's been a lot, a lot of things that I make a TikTok about, and people in the comments are like, "Don't get excited about this. Don't say it's a good thing yet. Wait for the screw up." And then a week later, I'm like. Remember when I said that Doug Ford was doing this, we also didn't realize that this is part of the bill and it's, right. and it's a thing that's, that just hurts the working class or it messes things up for people or, or it, it completely negates the value of, of what he was trying to do. Well, it's like the, uh, the, the license plates, right? Oh, we're going to redo the license plates. Okay, great. And what nobody asked for, but fair enough. Great. Okay. If we get it cheaper made license plates and new design sure why not except you know you get they all get out there and it's like well this is just a waste of tax dollars i, I feel like people really forget how upset everybody was like this like pre-covid i think people really forget how much they hated doug ford over this the gas pump stickers right. yes, and the license yes. plate 
like 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 he he has done so much and it's shock doctrine it was introduced by by george bush right. um and the republicans even reagan era um but it's like they beat you over the head with stuff until you're too exhausted to talk about it and even when you do get to talk about it and even when it is covered there's so much that you don't know where to start and you forget about all of the bad and donald trump's obviously the king of this and i don't want to compare ford to trump because it's not a healthy comparison to do but but and even trudeau does it at times right if trudeau has a lot of things going on they just keep dumping dumping like update after update and some of them are good updates but it's like you keep getting bombarded with things until it goes away like the mckinsey thing is a scandal that i don't think just think should affect trudeau i think it should be affecting every province because doug ford's given massive eight-figure contracts to mckinsey on cold calls where there was no competition right but we're not going to investigate that the same way that pierre is pushing for the trudeau investigation federally but but obviously there are things that need like it's yeah it's a lot it's just well like I, I'll be honest, we, we've talked about this a number of times, uh, just how the Ford government constantly puts forward uh, like policy after policy or, or bill after bill. And the, the, the idea is in, a, in a, the parliamentary system that we have, you put forward the bill, it goes to a committee and the idea is committees are supposed, you're supposed to have experts come in. They talk about the, you know, this is what oh, can happen. Oh, government's not doing that. Well, I know, but that, you know, that, that was the idea, like back to bill 23, You'd have environmental defense come forward and propose we shouldn't do this, or if you want to do it, let's do it this way. Do it in this way so that you're not going right over a watershed instead right. of rerouting your highway so that it avoids a conservative MPP's golf course. Right. Same as uh, you know, AMO was AMO, the the Association of Municipalities of Ontario wasn't invited to the table to say, okay, like there are better this is your goal, there are better ways to to accomplish that. Yeah, and this is, it's it, it's it astonishes me. You know, I, I look back at the at the QP uh, fiasco, and they had that mentality: of, we're just going to push this through, push it through. And they didn't take into account. They, I, I really don't think they understood when they dropped the notwithstanding clause. Oh there, were cons- there were conservatives who jumped on and said, "No, no, this is not you." Like negotiate with them, you you. Find you know coming low, play hardball, but this is you can't you can't uh, drop this literally the nuclear option. And I think one of the problems though is so we look at like so when when Trudeau does something bad and liberals get pissed off, they leave the party. When Wynn does something bad and, and liberals get pissed off, they leave the party. Same thing with the NDP, um, Horvath and and Jagmeet and 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 basically every previous leader other than Jack Layton, who unfortunately didn't have the opportunity to disappoint us, and I don't think he ever would have. But that's a whole can of worms. Um. The problem with conservative voters, and this is both an American thing and a Canadian thing, and, and I don't I don't have the expertise to talk about the rest of the world, but like they'll say, oh my God, like for example, when we go back to the convoy, I can't believe this is before Pierre was leader. It's disgusting that he supported them. I can't believe that he did that. I would never vote for Pierre. And now Pierre's leader, and people are so excited to vote for Pierre. People right. I know who said that they were disgusted by him and would never ever consider voting for him. And so when we bring that to on the Ontario level. I told my friends and family that when Doug Ford got elected for the first time in 2018, that me and my wife would lose our teaching jobs. And we did because he changed the staffing side. He changed the, uh, the classroom sizes. And I lost my job. I lost my freaking job. And people were like, oh, well, we didn't realize it would affect you. I've been telling you it would affect me. And then when the next election came around, I told him, this is going to affect my work again. Mm-hmm. And, and then they get upset. They're like, I can't believe you would do that. And then they vote for him again. And so that's the problem. So Ford's always going to have 30 to 35% of the province, no matter what he does to piss them off, 
all these unionized private, uh, private sector workers who have Ford's back right now, a lot of them are still going to vote for Ford, even though they know that in a heartbeat, he would take away their rights because he's already tried to do it. And I guess, it's a, I mean, that comes down to the, the myth that we can't afford anything in this province. You know, like that's that I, I do think that's one of the biggest myths that uh, that they can. We're control. not ambitious enough. Well, and again, that's something we've come back to many times in this podcast. Is that like Roland and I? Uh, I when I used to work, when we, I used to work in politics, he's a volunteer. The idea was always incrementalism, right? We can't do anything too big. You just got to kind of move the goalposts and see where you can get. And I think that that line of thinking has come to an end, and it's because of COVID, because we saw with COVID. What we can do big, big things. Big planning things can can be accomplished, and we can accomplish great things. We can we can uh, uh, vaccinate the entire country up towards I'm going to say ninety percent by now um, is vaccinated. Um, we kept our economy alive. Like we did not have massive layoffs. We've recovered most of the jobs uh, because of things like CERB, SUS, uh, the rent program, and whatnot. To the point where we like. You were saying, well, if we can do that, could we not implement things like a UBI to, you know, do away with Ontario Works altogether? Just say, no, here's this UBI. Just take that, do with it what you pay your rent, pay your bills, whatever. Because we're doing childcare, we're doing pharmacare, we're doing dental right. care. So obviously these things are within the scope of possibility. And I think that, but that's it. That's exactly it. It's that we don't, we're not, there's this talk of, uh, you know, we need to start thinking big and start planning, planning big. Uh, but we just don't, again, but the, the right wing conservative mentality is like, oh no, we don't have the money for any of this. It's, you know, how are we going to pay for it? Uh, you know, I, I think, I think the, the, the conversation on that, it's, it's frustrating because I look to the, our, the progressive political leaders in this province and it's woefully lacking that they, they're not putting forward to that ambitious campaign anymore. It's yeah. I mean, like, I, like the last election. I talked to both members of high up in both provincial parties, just casual conversations, the NDP and the liberals. And I've like, I've, like I've explained to them, like, Hey, like I'm reaching people. I'm like, I'm, I'm not asking them to run. I was just asking them to listen to me as to how they can better reach people. And when they hear the advice, they don't want to take it because these party establishments are doing the same thing that Pierre is doing federally. Uh, and the same thing that the PCs did prior to win. Or, or during Wynn's tenure, that sooner or later, people are just going to get so pissed off and they're just going to vote for somebody else. And, and it seems in Canadian politics that that is the, the default mode of operations. Now, in, in 2015 with Trudeau, I think his, that was obviously, they, they were hoping people would get tired of, of Harper, but there was the sunny ways thing and they had that great campaign. Outside of that, I cannot in my lifetime, my 30 years in this province, I cannot name another provincial or federal election where there truly was that like inspiring. They're talking to the people. They know what people want. It's, it's always just been the reflexive, like, well, they're going to get tired of the other people eventually. Right. I just need to stick around until I can walk in the job. That, that's why I suspect the, like I look at the NDP in this province and I get that mentality of when I, when I hear NDP members, Voice, it's that assumption of well, it's our turn now, right? Like they, we, we've been out, we've been out of the out of the seat for so long. It's our turn. People are going to give us a shot. And say people are willing to vote for you, but you got to give them a reason why. And I get, and I think especially now, people are feeling very alone. They're feeling very 
frustrated because you know the cost of living is going up. I, I, I'll, I'll give Pierre probably a benefit of the doubt. He does have the right. He has just pers- uh, uh, identified the right problem. People are alone. Yes. They're scared. Yeah. They are frustrated. Things are not working out for them. Where he gets a no, drastic, no, he's a yeah. Where he gets it drastically wrong though is he says, "Oh, it's Justin Trudeau's fault." I say, to a little bit, yes, but only because Justin Trudeau's not doing anything. He's not going after the 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 one the, the billionaires that the you know the Ted Rogers the Galen Wessons the, the windfall taxes stuff like that like there yeah. there's options like we have to reorganize it so that we give people a chance to breathe to f- get their footing and to just say yeah you know what living is not the struggle that it that it is right now and government can I do think, I do think government can do that it's a question of whether or not we have leaders to actually. Uh, put forward that case and make it happen. And there's always going to be a, a, a significant number of lobbyists and a significant number of insiders who will whisper in the ear, oh, what if it fails? What if this messes up? Then we're right back where we begin. But but they don't they don't want to be the first country that implemented XYZ and failed. Right. So like like one thing that I and I tell my students this and I and I say this in, in TikToks all the time is that Canada is one of the most progressive countries in the world in so many regards. But what Canada excels best at is always being the second to fifth country to do something. We are always like weed, number two, gay marriage, number two. Always, always, always we're the second. But looking at the legalization of mushrooms and looking at uh, some other things, we're, we're probably going to end up being number two. Like we are, we're always so close to being the leader, but we have this fear as Canadians of our image and we want to do everything right. So we have to wait for somebody else to succeed or fail before we attempt. At least that's what my personal study of Canadian history has led me to, to view our country's main moral failing as we're, we're just, we're so nervous and timid about making the mistake. We just want to be the right. Like, yeah. I, I would agree with you to, to an extent uh, because the UBI argument which I'm, I'm a big proponent of in case you yeah. haven't discussed no, no, that. I, yeah, I, yeah, no, and, and I, I, I am we, as well. We were the first on UBI. Originally, until we messed it up. Well, until we just stopped doing it. Dauphin, Manitoba yeah. was the yeah. first test case for universal basic income. And we didn't realize it until decades afterwards, we finally cracked open the binders and looked at the data. And we said, oh, it did everything we thought it was going to do and more. And they kind of mimicked that program, I believe, in Alaska, um, where Alaska essentially has some kind of a form of a UBI program, and it, and it is okay. quite effective there. Uh, it's not really UBI, but they do give money to citizens, uh, and it is, it, is, it is effective at solving the problems in which we're trying to solve, which is when you're poor, you are desperate because you need to put food on the table. You need to pay rent and rent is skyrocketing and food prices are skyrocketing. So we're only making people more desperate. So people are only going like, we need to be there for people. Like people are so worried about crime and oh, we got to increase the the police budget. And we have to do this and we have to do that. Or we could just like, you know, make it so that nobody commits a crime, at least not a, a crime such as theft and stuff like that, because they don't have to because they feel safe and comfortable in their homes and in their lives. And they have a job they can go to and they have money to make sure that there will be food on the table. Like, it's just, I don't see, I don't, I don't get how people think, Oh, well, these lazy entitled people with their handouts and they don't think, Oh, wow. There's a person who 
if I was in their position, I might be doing the same thing. So we should make, make it so that they aren't in that position. Because I know as somebody who grew up in, in a decent level of affluence and, 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 and has continued to be lucky in life in that regard, um, if I grew up poor, if I grew up in a situation where my parents didn't love me as much, there is no way that I would not have fallen into drugs. Absolutely no way. Knowing my addictive personality, knowing who I was as a, as a kid and who I have become as an adult, I would have messed my life up. And so like, I just don't see how people can't extend that olive branch emotionally to others. I, I do think people are willing to, I think, I think there are people I'm, a, I, I'm an optimist at heart. Um, not, not every day of the week I'll say, but for the most part, I'm, I'm an optimist. I do think people under, understand, um, that, that, that people people just get it in a in a bad situation. They get they get they get pushed up against the wall, and you get that fight or flight response, and that's what triggers in. I mean, it com- kind of comes back to episode we did with Carl uh, Doc Setter uh, two episodes ago. Uh, he did his he had a tweet on the thin blue line. We start talking, getting into a conversation on on policing and whatnot. I said, you know, policing is by its nature a reactive institution. It's brought in after the fact to restore justice and calm to a situation. So you like you. You had you called the police after the crime is done to figure out who who did the crime and apply justice. That's pretty much what a police is for. We're applying this re, this reactive institution to what should be proactive problems: mental health, uh, poverty, you know, uh, uh, housing situations, um, all that stuff that really needs a more proactive approach to it. We in turn take this reactive tool. And say, okay, fix this. And lo and behold, it doesn't work. It, it become, you know, we that's where you had police who are overburdened, who are stressed out, who who are really saying this they're, they're isn't not, my job. To do, yeah, and that's the thing. It's not it's not fair to them. Like I think a lot of people think that I'm I'm like anti-cop. I, right. I'm not, I'm I'm pro an effective system. Uh, I have my issues with the RCMP. That's a whole other conversation. But like, it's not fair that cops are social workers. That is right. the main function of their job. That they're not trained for that. That's not what they should be doing. Uh, like when, when our police do their investigations, we have extremely effective police in Canada. We are really, really good at stopping things before they happen. We are really, really good at investigating gangs. Like our, our police forces in Canada are highly mm-hmm. effective, but we don't need to be overburdening them and, and increasing their budget is not going to make that easier. What's going to make it easier for them is making a society in which there are less people who are going to commit those stupid petty crimes, like running around naked in a Walmart. Why is that person doing that in the first place? They had a mental breakdown. How can we reach that person and make their life better so that they didn't do that in the first place? Not how do we stop them from doing it again? It's how do we stop it from happening at all? And I just, yeah, you're right. It's reactive. Yeah, I think I'm looking at the clock here, and I think we're coming up on on the uh, on the episode. We, you and I think could go on for a quite a long time <laughs> on these issues. But um, Frank, it was great to have you on the on the podcast. Uh, it was great to pick your mind on this stuff. And and you know, I'm going to say we'll have a link to your TikTok account in the in the show notes, folks. Uh, if you don't have a, a TikTok account, get one. Sign up. Follow Frank. He's great. Uh, great guys to just kind of. I'm also starting to try to post on, on YouTube and, and Instagram now at the Frank Dominic, but those really haven't taken off. But if people just refuse to get TikTok, uh, the Instagram account is probably the best one. There you go. Thanks very much, Frank, and uh, all the best. All right. Have a good one.
that's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favourite podcast app.